0: All right, so what is our theme this night season? Uncovering the greatest lie ever told. Because we know it all, we've got it all handled. Because we know absolutely nothing. Do you feel like week after week, you're like, I didn't know that. Like, every week I feel like, and I, are you getting that? And I didn't know that either. There'll be plenty of time to take notes on it, I'm sure. I feel like it's becoming more and more clear that that banner over this season of, excuse me, of we don't know, is becoming, it's just, that's where it's at. Like everything I was raised in, I don't know, but we are in a family who's willing to look at it. So because of that, being in a family who's willing to look and say, we don't know, that's when he releases truth. That's when he releases himself. And one of the things that is becoming more and more apparent is that as a family, our heritage, we have been robbed from. That there is, there is a lot of things that have been taken from us. I was thinking about this today. If you had a great grandfather come to you and he said, hey, I just wanted you to know you had a million dollars. Somebody came and took it, they spent it all, they bought themselves all these things, but it was your money, how would that sit with you? It was yours, it was yours to have, it was, it was at your fingertips, it was yours to spend, it was yours to do with what you wanted to, it was yours to invest, it was yours to put away, it was yours to give away, but somebody came and took it from you and used it all. I think that some kind of like something would rise up in you, right? That same kind of something rising up in you of that was mine is what should be rising up in us when we realize we've been robbed from. That our heritage was taken. But as a family, we get to look at that and we get to go back and remember, first of all, what was written on our scroll and what has been done for us and who's gone before us and what was laid out before us all the way back to our family, to our heritage, we get to obtain that. But at the same time, we also have to look at and remember where we came from. We have to remember that what we were given was, what was stolen from us was our heritage. It was family. It was honoring Shabbat. It was honoring feasts. Those things were taken from us, and we and it was replaced with so much other stuff that that was false. So many other things have been given to us, and we just bought into it and said, "Sure, that's what I'll operate in. That's what I'll live under. That's what's truth." But in this season, as a family, we're saying, "Maybe that wasn't truth." So, our identity is being restored. And we're coming to that place to continue to evaluate, to look at as he exposes the separation between us and our true heritage. A night like tonight is set aside for you to look at the separation that has happened between you and the true heritage that you are missing out on. That was taken from you because something false was passed down to you. So dad, as you come up here, Oh, gosh, he's got a lot of notes. Are we ready for this? And new glasses. Um, oh, great. He could see into all of us now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just, um, I want us to, as we stand in a place to remember, I want us to remember what we have access to in this home that we have access to a father who, like Derek said, is willing to press, who's willing to wrestle, who's willing to teach you how to wrestle. You have access to a father who is going to help you press in those hard things, a father who's gonna help you realize, you know, something was taken from you a long time ago, but we're gonna get it back. There's a lot of hope in that when you attach yourself to a father who says it's time to go back and take back everything that was yours as he releases over us the trueness of our identity. So, tonight I I do want you guys to get your trading floor cash because I feel like there is so much that you're gonna trade into and I want you to claim your revelation. That tonight as, as dad or as Padrino is releasing over this house, claim your revelation with your finances that when you put money at that, you are trading on the trading floors of heaven and you're saying all that truth that you're dispensing, I want that because I know that is what's gonna close the gap, the separation from me and the truth of who my Father is and where my heritage is.
1: He just handed me this and I'm like, do you want me to do a plug for you? No, I know. But it was making me think as I saw this up here. How many of you guys know about this? Who does not know about this, maybe? Everybody knows about this? Anyways, there is an official link that you can get your copy because his, how, how many chapters are in this? So there's 40 different authors. But this project is pretty awesome because each author gets the book in their name. So this is under Justin Brewer with 39 other authors. His picture is in the back with his bio and then the chapter is up front. So it's a powerful opportunity. This is his second, uh, would you call that a project? His second project or writing out of multiple books that he wants to get into. And now that this has been officially released, he feels like he's ready to be able to, his next one will probably be without adjoining authors it'll be his whole book so get excited so this is like a first fruit not not necessarily a first fruit but one of the first fruits of many when you get your hands on this and it's called Sons of Purpose
2: Uh, so I'm gonna ask again how many how many people were here two Fridays ago when we were talking about um, sons of a commandment and if you weren't here did you have a chance to listen to the podcast if you weren't here? So there's nobody here that hasn't heard it before going into tonight. Is that accurate? Okay. Huh? Okay. I just feel like that was kind of a, a super brief contextual look into Apostle Paul and who he is and what he's about, what he's not. Um in order to start really getting into his writings and what he says about the law and the thing that we're getting into with the biggest lie. So I've, hearing that's important and I just wanted to make sure, and even I would even go back and listen to it again um, after tonight as well. But I did wanna kind of review a little bit um, from, from that night and remind you guys about Apostle Peter and how he said Paul was difficult to understand. And there's a scripture that refers to that. It's Second uh, Peter three fifteen through 16. It says, bear in mind that the patience of our Lord means salvation. Just as our dearly loved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these matters in all of his letters. Some things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, as they also do with the rest of the scripture to their own destruction. So this is important because Peter wasn't just saying, I know this guy, Paul, he's hard to understand. He wasn't just saying he's difficult to understand. He was saying that there's something linked to his understanding that has to do with, twisting of the scriptures and your own destruction if you're if you're ignorant of the scripture or if you're twisting scripture and you're not seeking to understand paul who's difficult to understand there's an element of destruction for you in that okay and i think that's important because paul anybody will tell you is one of the most hard to understand confusing seems contradictory seems um bipolar like in the same verse, he'll say it, it'll it look like he's saying the opposite of himself in the same verse. So I think it's interesting that you have one of the people that he was close with saying he's hard to understand. And many people, because of their ignorance, will twist what he's saying. OK, so this should indicate to us that there's an element to Paul that you it's almost like when I when I read this scripture from Peter, I think to myself When I read Paul, I have to do my due diligence and I can't afford to just take what he said at face value. I can't just read what he said and just interpret it and think that's what he said, right? I have to understand what he's saying. I have to do my due diligence to understand what he's saying, which is why we went through the history, the theology. You can't understand theology without history. We had to go through all that. We have to understand the context of the time. And we have to understand that there's Hebrew concepts, dynamics, and principles of that day that have been filtered through Greek thought and through New Testament scholarship and 2,000 years of westernized Christianity. And we have our ideas now that we try to put on the people then. Right, We can have ideas that weren't even in existence then, but we'll put it on them because that's how we understand it now. If that makes sense. So we have to remember that Apostle Paul is not somebody you can just... It's not straightforward to the point where you can just say, well, Paul said we're not under the law. You can't just flippantly just say that. Right? And you can't flippantly say it either way, right? Because he's hard to understand. And there's an element, like Peter said, if you're ignorant and you twist it, there could be some destruction in your future, okay? So you'll have to forgive me. Um, There is, we are not even, like I said last time, there's two goals. I wanna familiarize you guys with the context of Paul and who he is and who he's not. Enough so that you will realize, I can't just read what he says and take it at face value and I have to dig it out for myself, okay? Because we're, I mean, Paul refers to the law a hundred plus times in his writings. And it doesn't, it's, we'll get into it, but it's not so simple, okay? So to go back to a couple weeks ago, just to get us in the right frame of mind, Paul never proclaimed himself to be a Christian, a quote unquote Christian. Okay, these are just facts. This is not me interpreting anything. There's nowhere in the word where he says, I am a Christian. Okay. He also never disavowed his Jewishness. He never detached himself or disconnected himself or distance himself from his Jewishness. Okay. In the word. It would say Judaism, but that term in that time meant his Jewishness, his his culture. He never disavowed himself from that. And when you look at the road to Damascus, a lot of people will say that's when Paul converted to Christianity from Judaism to Christianity on the road to Damascus, but I would submit to you that he wasn't converted from something to something else. He was actually called in terms of a father celebrating a son going through a bar mitzvah saying, you are now a son of commandment and you've been tutored and you've been taken care of and you've been guided by this teacher, the Torah, and now you're on your own as a grown man to engage with it as a son of commandment. Okay. We also have to remember contextually that Yahweh, the one who called him, is the God of Israel, okay? And he he called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He sent him to the Gentiles as an apostle. I don't know if I went up, did I talk about what the word apostle means two weeks ago? I did, okay. So let's put the let's just contextually put the pieces together. Yahweh the God of Israel called Paul. He didn't convert him to anything. He called him as an apostle, which means you're going to be sent to the Gentiles to transform their state into the state of our family. He called apostle Paul to the Gentiles to follow a Jewish Messiah. So you can start to see the context here is that you have a Hebrew household, right? And you have a father of that Hebrew household calling his son to be sent to those that are foreign to his household to convert them, to, a, to get them to be adopted and grafted in into the household so that what he was sent to looks like where he came from, Okay. And this is, this is how you have to go back to figure out, okay, Paul said this. Who is Paul? Where, what happened? How did he get to this place? Why is he speaking to the Gentiles? What well, you have to ask all these questions, okay? And then remember we talked about Deuteronomy 28. There's a system of blessings and curses. The church at large now, generally speaking, will pick and choose what they want to participate in out of the Torah, even while they say we're no longer under the Torah, but I'm still going to partake of the blessings of the Torah, even though I deny the curses of the Torah. And you can't, that doesn't work that way because the curses are a mechanism for restoration to get the blessing. Okay? I want you guys, before we get into the scriptures tonight, I want you guys to think about in Genesis when the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. What he did was there was a father who created Adam and Eve in a state that he created, the environment he created for them to have dominion and all that. And he exerted his authority by giving them instructions and he gave them an instruction not to eat from the tree of good and evil, right? So you have a creation. You have an environment that they've been given dominion over. You have a father who gives loving instructions, simple ones, right? Don't eat that. That's it. Don't eat that over there. Just don't eat it. Okay simple. And here comes a serpent. And what he does is he questions the authority. And he's not saying, the serpent isn't saying, you don't have to listen to Yahweh, you should listen to me. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, what he's giving the perception is, you don't have to listen to Yahweh, you should become free of that over here with me. He's trying to he's trying to convey a situation where he's saying you don't have to listen to Yahweh come over here with me where we'll be on the same playing field and we'll be free from that together. When in reality that's not actually what's happening because there's two authorities that are at play. This is what's in the, this is why that that's that's relevant to today because many people have been fooled into thinking or believing that Paul says the law is no longer valid, which means there's no authority when in reality you have to be governed by something. The serpent knew when when I trick you, you're not just coming over to my camp where we have a free-for-all together. He knew when you eat of that, you're going to be governed by the law of sin and death. But he didn't tell them that. He didn't say, come be my slave. He said, he just questioned, do you really have to follow that? Why don't you come be free of that with me? Okay? Let's think about the greatest lie. The greatest way I could deceive you, okay, The greatest way, the greatest deception that I could perpetrate on you is to think that you're getting all this freedom and truth and you're making all your decisions on your own and you are completely in a state of freedom when really you're in a state of bondage and you have no idea. Right? So the serpent was making it seem like you need to free yourself from that bondage and come over here and be free with me. You don't have to listen to your father's instructions. Why don't you detach yourself from the law and come over here and be free with me when really there's two laws fighting each other. Right? He's making it seem like you're free of the law, but you can't be free. You you can't free yourself from law altogether because you're going to be governed by sin and death or life. Right? Like, the Torah, this isn't the only law. You can cut yourself off from this. Like, many people say, no, we're not under the law. You're under something. Right? The serpent knew, when I, when I challenge you and you, you take that fruit, I know you're under something, but I'm going to present it to you like you're free from something. Is that making sense? Like, let's just take, let's just not get into the nitty gritty. Let's just take a step back and think about when I was in law enforcement and I was trying to apprehend or or catch people, I had to think like them to think, what are they going to do? What what move are they going to make, right? So I can overcome what they're trying to do. Right? Aside from all the scripture and all the debate and all the scholarship, let's just think about, what's the greatest way the enemy could deceive us? One of the greatest ways, the biggest lie is, no, you're not subject to this anymore. You're free from the law. And when he says you're free from the law and you you step out and you operate that way, then you're detaching yourself from the curse, which is the means of your restoration. When he When he cursed his household in the Old Testament, it wasn't a death sentence. It wasn't a a forever curse. It was a curse that would make them aware of their sin so that they would seek the restoration of Yahweh. And when they repented and obeyed, they were in right relationship. Let's just think about the whole Bible in general. There's a process, right? You're you're living a life governed by sin and death previous to your encounter with Yeshua, right? And basically what he asks you to do is to repent by way of Yeshua so that you can then get back into right relationship with him, okay, But repenting and getting back into right relationship is not the end of it. That's what it looks like when people say, I've been saved, and they do nothing else. You repented, you restored relationship, you got in right standing with the Father, but that's not it. Because I can tell you, if I had a son who walked away from me and repented and came back into right relationship with me, what that then means is that you're going to have to obey me now. It's not just about repentance and restoring right relationship. The purpose of the repentance and the restoration of the relationship is so that you can, you can demonstrate obedience, so that you can demonstrate your loyalty, and so that you can fulfill the purpose that I have for you. So, I mean, just I feel like sometimes we can get so like locked in and tunnel vision as as Christians, right? Like this is the this is what I say. This is the Christian thing to say. This is the Christian thing to do. And I'm not under the law. And I have conversations with people and, and it's like I'm saying something and th- it's like, i I'm not under the law. And then they say it. It's like their brains like, no, you're not under the law. And then they just say it. And it's like I wasn't even talking about that. There's just like a, it's like we're automated to just spit out like, no, no, Paul said we're not under the law. And I'm going to get to that because in that scripture, that's not it's not even all he says. But it's been like beat into our heads, like not under the law, not under the law, not under the law. And if you talk about the law, if you want to obey the law, man, you're legalists, you're, you're Judaizing, you're doing all these things, right? over the place. You will have to forgive me. So Apostle Paul, right, he's, if you guys remember from two weeks ago, one of the things that I pointed out is that throughout history, many people, many denominations, many religions have created this virtual reality concept of Jewishness and what that means to serve their purpose. And Paul is like the ultimate virtual Jew because when you talk about this issue, the first one of the first things people are going to say is, well, Paul said this. As if Paul betrayed his Jewishness And condemned the law. (laughs) It's. I've been debating if I want to give this analogy because I feel like it's crazy. But when. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> so, Paul in his writings, right, he wrote, a, uh, <laughs> he wrote a large extent of what many call the New Testament, right? And he mentions the word law over a hundred times. And in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. So every time he says law it's the word nomos. Well when you part of the problem is when you try to take Hebrew concepts and with these two languages when you try to take Hebrew concepts and and convey them through Greek thought especially in this case it's literally just the word law. It's a one-dimensional word. So anytime you see Paul talking and saying the word law, it's it's being translated and reduced down to like a one-dimensional, it's the law. It's the do this, don't do this, the regulation that you're expected, the things that you have to do or can't do. Right? But in the in the Hebrew concept, it's the Torah, it's the it's it's literally teaching and direction and insight and it is regulation too but it's, it's a father raising up his household through teaching and direction and insight and caregiving right it's multi-dimensional I don't just abide in my house to tell my kids stop that don't do that take the trash out they probably think that's all I do <laughs> yeah Yeah. Right. As as. So you have this dynamic where where the truth behind what you're reading is not being fully conveyed by the words that you're reading. Okay, so every time Paul says law, we have been so like culturally conditioned to think the law is bad. Right? This goes back to the Old Testament and the New Testament, which it isn't actually called that. That's a, that's a new invention, let's say, and it, it conveys that there's something wrong with this one, and there's this new one, and this one's going to replace that one. Okay? So combine that with reducing the Torah, all this, which I'm going to get into, reducing, reducing a father's role, down to, that would be like if somebody put a muzzle and I could just hold up a sign and say, don't do that. Do this, don't touch that. Sean, do this. And that's, all the, that's the only way I could communicate with my children. I want you guys to think about, and I, I believe we're going to keep going with this. Um, we're going to get to Romans 7, which is Apostle Paul talking about two laws at war, which is what I was talking about. There's two laws at war, and we're going to get to that. But I want to, um, I want you guys to turn to Galatians 2, 19 through 20. And let me know when you get there. Hey, this is Paul talking. Chapter 2, verse 19. He says, for through law, I died to law. So that I might live for God, I have been crucified with Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but Messiah who lives in me. And the life I, I now live in the body, I live by trusting in Ben Elohim, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through Torah, then Messiah died for no reason. Okay, so his first, in the first verse, he says, for through law, I died to law. Well, what the, what the heck? <laughs> There's just the word law, the one dimensional, It when he said it, there was probably a whole context behind what he said. But when we read it, he just simply says, through law, I died to law. And this is why you can't understand theology without history, because if you don't, if we don't take the time to go through the context, who Paul is, according to his own words, who he's not, according to his own words, what he proclaimed to be and not be, according to his own words, then how are we going to understand this? Through law, I died to law. Because, and we'll go to some other scriptures to to get insight on what he means by this. But basically what he's saying is through the Torah, which shows me my sin. It was through the mechanism of the father's instructions that highlighted to me my sin that I was able to die to the law. And when he's talking about the law in the second term, he's talking about the law of sin and death. So he's saying through the Torah that highlighted my sin to me and made me aware of my sin because of the Father's instruction, I died to the law of sin and death. But all it says is, well, through law, I died to law the heck does that mean? It just sounds like Paul is saying I died to the law, the law is dead to me. Right? But he's when he says what he died to, it was the law of sin and death. Okay. There's You'll have to forgive me for jumping around because like I said, law, he mentions law. There's one verse I read, within five verses he says law like 12 times. And he's not talking about the same thing every time he says it. It's interesting to think about the law just in general, just aside from scripture, just in our daily life now, in, in modern times, to think about the law. In Arizona, we have a law book called the Arizona Revised Statutes. If you, if you get that book, it's a huge book, and it outlines every single law statute for the state of Arizona, what you can do, what you can't do, regards business, education, civil law, criminal law, right? It's like a phone book of, of law. And it's interesting because when we talk about law and grace, We look at it like it's uh, two opposing things. We look at it very one-dimensionally. We're either under the law or we're under grace, right? Can we agree on that? That's That's how it's typically looked at. No, no, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace, right? It's either or. It's one or the other. They're opposed. You can't have both, right? But we have to understand that truly the way it's been set up is that you can't You can't have grace if there's no law. There's no need for grace if there's no law. Right? The law necessitates grace. And grace affirms the law because you wouldn't need grace if there was no law. If it was a free for all, you don't need grace. Right? They're both they're both interdependent upon one another. They're linked. If there's no law, there's no need for grace. If there's no need for grace, then there's no need for the Messiah. Because we have a Messiah who we all believe in, who we've all been saved by, then we know there's grace. And because we know there's grace, then we, then we know there's a law. Right? In order to understand this more, we have to understand what sin is. The Bible says that sin is transgression of the law. So you can can define and identify sin because you've violated the law. Right? When you transgress the law, you're under its dominion. In other words, you can be condemned by the law when you violate it. If I'm driving down the interstate and I'm going 95 miles an hour, I could be condemned by way of the law. If I violate the law, I can then be condemned by it. Right? I'm under its dominion. I'm I'm under its condemnation. I'm subject to the law when I violate it. Like this is so, It's so backwards, like, no, I'm not under the law. Well, that means then you're abiding by the law. If you're truly not subject to or you're truly not under condemnation of the law, it means you're following the law. If I'm driving down the interstate at 70 miles an hour and the speed limit is 75, I'm not under the condemnation of the law because I'm following the law. (laughs) It's so bad. When you fulfill or abide by the law, you're free from the condemnation of the law. But that doesn't mean that the law is no longer there. The law is still there. You're just not subject to the condemnation of the law. When I'm driving the speed limit, I I can happily pass a state trooper And not be condemned or no, I'm not subject to being pulled over because I'm abiding by the law. Okay. So when the word talks about. I'm not under the law when when Apostle Paul says, I'm not under the law, what he's saying is, is I'm not under the condemnation of the law. I'm not subject to the penalty of the law. I'm, not, I'm no longer living in my flesh, living in sin because my sin and my flesh nature died with you and I rose with you in the spirit and so I'm no longer subject to the law of sin and death and I'm alive in the spirit and I'm, I'm subject to the perfect law of liberty and it's empowering me to fulfill the law in me so that I'm not subject to to the corruption of death. It's so like, this is, I, I feel like it's just, at some point, Yahweh's like, I'm ripping the veil off of him. And I read the word now and I'm just like, what what have I been reading? Let's go to Romans 6.14. Romans 6, who is your master? Not do you have a master or not? That's part of the deception is is thinking that your option is be subject to a master or be free. When the real question is, who is your master? Right? Don't let somebody come and say, "No, no, you don't need a master. That's not an option. You're you're going to be a slave to something." Romans six, we'll start in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Don't let sin rule. Don't let sin be your master and don't obey its desires. So the same dynamic of a master in obedience works just the same with the enemy, right? So going back to to, uh, in Genesis, can't read with these things on going back to genesis there's that that great deception is like you don't have to listen you don't have to have a master you come be free with me so do not let sin rule in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not keep yielding your body parts to sin as tools of wickedness but yield yourselves to the God as those alive from the dead and your body parts as tools of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law but under grace. So people will say they won't read all that. They'll just say, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But they'll say it in the context of no, no, we honor the Torah. Oh, no, no. You don't need to do that we're not under the law we're under grace he's not talking about the torah right here right he's talking about don't let sin be a master over you don't obey its wicked desires i don't live under that law i live under grace remember repentance brings restoration and right relationship which gives you the ability to obey Look, you have, the Torah is like an anchor and you have the dynamics on on one side of the Torah in your life before, before salvation, before you had a restored relationship with the Father, right? You had to repent. You were transgressing the law, right? You may have thought you were free but you, you had a master over you and you were violating the Torah, the law. You were a lawbreaker. You were hostile to his kingdom, right? You were in transgression, right? You needed salvation. You were under condemnation. You were, uh, the wages of your sin was death, right? This is, you were cursed. This was your life before right relationship with the father. Well, you had to repent, by way of Yeshua, right? We're not putting the Torah as the means of repentance. Yeshua is the means of repentance and salvation. But once you repent and you restore right relationship, meaning you're in the house with the father, then that gives you the the ability to obey and fulfill what he asks you to do, right? If you are saved from transgression, if you are freed from transgression like Paul talked about, then you are given righteousness when you rise with him. So you're being freed from transgression and delivered into righteousness. If, transgression, if sin is transgression of the law, then what is righteousness? Biblically, sin is you have violated the law. What is righteousness? What it, what does it mean to be delivered into righteousness? What does it mean to be a, a righteous, uh, a fulfilled son in the house? What does that mean? If this is you violating the law on this side, what is it on this side? Right? Not even just compliance. Right? Compliance would be duty. I can't wait till the day season till we start getting into um last day season we didn't get to children raising children I can't wait until we get into raising children because so much of this is going to make sense right these dynamics are happening in your households all of this and it works just like this This is this is what happens right You repent. When you've prayed for people to be saved, you're like, man, just got to repent, right? You get saved, right? You declare these things. You repent of, you know, the, the sin in your life, and you come before him. You come before Yeshua, and then you're saved, right? Salvation, right? Relationship with the Father, right? That's what happens. But then this, when we talk about salvation isn't the whole story, that's what we're talking about. This, if you just stop at this stage of right relationship being restored, that means my son can violate my relationship, say, will you forgive me? Yes, but then that's it and not do anything else. Does that make sense? Somebody can ask you for forgiveness and restore something, but that should, that should lead to something else. That should lead to a greater fulfillment of that relationship. Specifically with respect to a a father and his children, if I ask my son to do something or I command him to do something and he violates that, he has to repent and restore relationship so that he can do what I originally told him to do. Doesn't this make sense? Like who, it's it's such deception to think. This is what gets me so fired up is when people are presented with a false option. The false option is you can either be in legalism or you can be free. Because Yeshua came to make us free. Right. Matthew five. Right. He came to fulfill the law. Oh, he finished it. He finished it. And then Paul said, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Like it's one or the other. Right. It's it's such a false option. So when you look at this you've got duty on one side right people will say legalism when you go through this process there's a difference between duty and devotion as a father i want children or as a discipler i want disciples who are devoted to me not just that they have a duty to me right i don't want my kids to take care of me when i'm older and i can't because they feel like they have to I want them to do it because they have a heart to do it, right? You get delivered out of condemnation into righteousness. You get delivered from death and raised into life, cursed and blessed, right? You could see this dynamic, and it all revolves around the law. Both in, when you look at what Yeshua said his purpose was, And what he told us our purpose was, he said his purpose in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he said, this is why I came, right? In Matthew 28, he gave us our purpose and said, this is what I want you to do. In both situations, right, it had to do with the law being fulfilled. And not only you fulfilling, meaning you doing it, but you teaching the next generation to do it. That let's water it down. What did Yeshua say his purpose was and what did he tell us to do? He said do the law and teach the law. Right? But yet we'll we'll I mean man, you got to wrestle with that. If Paul says I I died to the law and I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace. Well, the grace he was talking about was being raised into life with the Messiah because he died with him. So the sin and death nature died so that he could have the perfect law of liberty so he could live, so he could actually fulfill the the commandments that he was called to fulfill. Right? I keep looking at Yvonne because you're a lawyer, right? Apostle Paul was a lawyer, he was a trained lawyer. Have you ever tried to read like a a document put together by a lawyer? That's why we have lawyers, because we can't understand that stuff, right? If, If you have a criminal trial and somebody's standing trial, you have a defendant who's on trial. We were all on trial, guilty. We were already guilty because of our sin nature and because of our corrupted nature because we had transgressed the law. We were all guilty standing trial. right? And then Yeshua came to our defense as, as our defense attorney and he basically got us uh, is exonerated the right word. We were exonerated. He was our defense attorney. He got us he got us uh, no guilty plea, right? Uh, we were not guilty, right? Does that mean that the law that we violated is no longer there? If a, if a criminal defendant stands trial and for some reason the judge says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sentence you not guilty. Does that mean that the law that they violated just disappears? Or that they're allowed to go do it again? Right? Yeshua exonerated us so that we could be restored to right relationship, and he showed us how to fulfill the law so that we could do it. Right? People will say, well, it's impossible. It's impossible. Well, first of all, you're already fulfilling a lot of them without even thinking about it. Some of them don't, they, not all laws apply to everybody. Some apply to men, some apply to women, right? So that's even more that I don't have to worry about. Okay, some I'm already fulfilling. They're not hard, trust me. Some of them don't apply to me because I'm not a woman. Okay? And people will say like, "Well, it's just impossible." Well, a lot of times what people are talking about is rabbinical law or oral law. And how crazy it will get, because in Jewish culture, in history, because they stood and honored this so much, they didn't want it to be desecrated, so they put fences around it. They put more laws around it, so it wouldn't be desecrated. Well, we can't, I mean, you can't fault them for that. Right? But when people say it's impossible, you can't go more than six feet. I'm I'm not saying this is one of them. Is I'm totally you can't move more than six feet with uh, carrying stuff in your hand on Shabbat or whatever, right? Like no, that's impossible. You can't you can't like comply with every single one of those extra Torah laws, right? But. People will still say it's impossible, but they'll also say, like, everything is possible through him who strengthens me. Right? But think about it. Think about it. All this is possible. The fulfillment of the law is possible through him who strengthens me. Right? Like, he Yeshua strengthens me, so it's possible for me to follow the law. But I just think it's funny when people will say, like, well, it's impossible. Well, then I would think, well, if you, if you make that claim, then you must be very familiar with the law to know how impossible it is. And I doubt... When most people say that, they're a Torah scholar to where they're like, well, there's this many laws and then there's the Talmud and then there's the the um, the Babylonian Talmud and then there's the this and this is all the laws and this is what you can and can't do on Shabbat. They don't know all that stuff. To know that it's impossible, right? If you go to, um, have you guys heard the term the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Right? We've all heard that. That comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 3, six. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a new covenant, right? People think new, they think new covenant. That means the covenant before is obsolete and I'm going to get the new one. So verse six says, he also made us competent as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Ruach for the letter kills but the Ruach gives life so he's 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 pointing out there's a letter of the law and there's a spirit of the law but if you just read it the law kills the law kills and in by definition the law does have the capacity to kill you. If you violate the law in a capital way, you can be given a death sentence by way of violating the law. The law is the mechanism that can give you a death sentence. And when it says the law kills, what he's really saying, he's not pointing out the Torah. The Torah, this, the law is not actually what killed you. It's your violation of the law, okay? But then he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The new covenant is the spirit of the law. Like he's not just saying the law kills, which is a misunderstanding to just say, well, then I'm not going to be a part of the law. I'm not going to deal with the law because legalism will kill you. No, legalism, listen, legalism will not kill you. The law will not kill you. The law's not just gonna magically write me a speeding ticket. The ARS book isn't gonna kill me. It's me violating the statutes. But you die with Yeshua and then you rise with him. You're given the Holy Spirit, and the new covenant is that the law is now written on your heart, and the Spirit empowers you to fulfill it. Right? Let's go to Romans 8. Oh, sorry. ARS is Arizona Revised Statutes. It's like the Arizona law book. Right. Your violation of the law is what led to death. Capital punishment, like you get a you get a death sentence. You murdered somebody. You violated the law. Now you're standing trial and you're given a death sentence. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, especially when we've been so ingrained with false options and definitions of modern day understanding, trying to put it on the cultural context back then, and it just doesn't work. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the spirit of life, right? That's another kind of law. The spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done. He's basically saying what it's impossible for the law to save you right? Your salvation is through Yeshua. We're not here preaching that we're going to work ourselves into salvation. It's not what we're saying. We're saying because we've been saved and restored to right relationship, we're now empowered to fulfill what the father wants us to do. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us. What? What? He sent his son to die for us so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us. What? What? (laughs) Who do not, it might be fulfilled in you if you do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Ruach set their minds on the things of the Ruach. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Ruach is life and shalom. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit itself to the law of God because it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you who are not in the flesh, but in the Ruach, if indeed the Ruach Elohim dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Ruach of Messiah, he does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Ruach of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to you, your mortal bodies through this Ruach who dwells in you. Isn't that powerful? Paul says right there. He says right there. The reason why Yeshua came, which is what Yeshua said, why he came to fulfill the law. But people go, no, no, he fulfilled it. Yeah, (laughs) he did. But they're saying it like as a as a as a as a um, rebuttal to honoring the Torah. No, no, he fulfilled it. No, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Right. You can hear now that you that we understand this you can see how that is just it's it's so deceptive it's so subtly right because you can't just take paul on his face you can't you can't ever just pick three words out of a a eight word verse and just say just i'm just going to declare those three words Another thing to consider is when you read, a lot of times I'll pull up either Blue Letter Bible or Bible Gateway where you can search a verse and then you can see it next to different translations. You can compare three different translations of the Bible of the same verse right next to each other and you can see how much variation, right? If you look at Romans 7.25, that talks about two laws in operation if you look at King James, it says the law of God and the law of sin. If you look at this is kind of funny. I clicked on the message. Just I've, I don't like regularly read that. I don't you know. I don't know much about it, but in the message, it doesn't even say the word law at all. Like first we went from Torah to law, so we went from this multifaceted Father's heart, His loving instructions to just law right then you go to the message bible it doesn't even say the word law it says serve god influence of sin like serve god with all your heart so that i'm no longer influenced by sin no i would never even think anything about this from that right like even the word law as watered down as that is is totally removed The Tree of Life version says the Torah of God and the law of sin. It's awesome. So, like I was saying in the beginning, I you know, I would encourage you guys to to go back and listen to Son of Commandment because I I really truly believe that what Yahweh is taking this house through and this family through is it's it's <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's like he's he's bar mitzvahing us. He he's declaring over us, just like in Jewish culture, a father would declare over his 13-year-old son, you are now a son of commandment. Like that's your father. The Torah is partnering with me to raise you now. he's saying we're sons of commandment and apostle paul was a son of commandment i don't believe he was convert look up any google anything about the road to damascus and the title will say paul's conversion to christianity right and like i said we're just we're just barely scratching the surface but my my hope and my prayer and what i felt led is that we can dive into history and theology enough long enough and get into the word and really bear it out long enough that when you read what Paul says or when somebody says out of a verse I'm not under the law I'm under grace we know that that doesn't mean how they're saying it right well what law are you no longer under and what is grace what is grace what is it? What verse is that? What does it say right before that? But doesn't this just make sense? I'm I'm simple. I have to I have to not only understand the word, but he's not he's not going to make it so difficult that we have to be a scholar to understand. We just have to be willing to say, "You know what? Maybe I don't know. Maybe everything that I've been taught isn't 100% accurate. And I'm not saying that everything we teach is 100% accurate, but I'm going to keep digging to make sure that I understand more and more as time goes by. I'm not going to settle to just have somebody tell me something and me not figure out if that's right or not. I'm not going to take somebody saying, no, Justin, you're not under the law. You don't have to do any of this. I'm going to make sure Right? if somebody came up to you let's say you traveled to a new state you've never been and some let's say you go to Colorado right none of you guys have been to Colorado and a Colorado resident comes up to you and says like um, no you can drive however fast you want and uh, you can smoke weed and hit the crack pipe you can rob people here right like there's no law. There's, we don't even have laws in our state. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to check, <laughs> right? Before I just go rob somebody, I'm going to make sure that's legit. Like, is there really no law? <laughs> right? It's stupid, right? I'm going to check before I go rob Dwayne. I'd be like, am I going to get in trouble for this? But what's crazy is without, without the law, right without the speed limit sign and you're in that state and there's no speed limit sign you could do whatever you want and you're your own judge of whether that's correct or not you're your own judge which then means it's it's a totally subjective standard and it run and you run into problems that may be fine for you but maybe ellen thinking she can go 100 and me thinking that I can stop her from going 100 because I can do whatever I want becomes problematic, right? No, there's no law, so I can take this from you. Well, that also means I can kill you. And that also means that your family can do whatever to my family, right? And there's no objective standard. This is the objective standard. Fathers don't raise a household of lawlessness. They raise a household with standards, so that their sons and daughters can be matured and raised up in order to fulfill the purpose that He has for them. So I want us to just move forward and and be thinking because we, I think we're going to continue to get into Paul because there's so much. Get into it yourselves um, because we have to we have to understand this. Matthew five is what people will um, point to as as we don't need to obey or fulfill the law acts 15 and apostle paul and you can debate apostle paul and what he said till you die i mean there's just so much that you could go back and forth with in the things that people will normally say that probably the most typical is we're not under the law i mean we hear that all the time no we're not under the law we're under grace well we, I mean, you can research it for yourself. When Paul says, I'm not under the law, he's talking about I'm no longer subject to the corruption of sin, right? I'm no longer subject to that law, that master of sin that just leads to death because I died to my flesh and I rose in the spirit. And now I have a spirit of life, a law of life that allows me to fulfill what my father wanted me to do in the first place right? And the whole reason why we're in this state is because curses came as a mechanism for us to be restored to right relationship. If you had no idea that you needed a right relationship restored, it would never happen. How are you going to know that? Because Yahweh makes you aware that you've transgressed, that there's a relationship that you've been robbed of, that you haven't fulfilled, and only Yeshua can bring you back into right relationship with the Father, and you know what? When I got saved, this encounter happened right after I was made heavily aware of the sin in my life and, and what it was producing in my life and how dark my life was. I was aware of my sin, and there Yeshua was. A friend sat me down and he read me the word, and it caused me, the law caused me to be aware of my sin. So I repented. Through Yeshua and I got back in right relationship and ever since then I've been only wanting to obey him and fulfill my purpose which happens to include his instructions
1: I'm not sure I'm going to be able to add much but there's so many things as he's talking and he'll say something and then I'm like say la <laughs> like when he talked about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and how much we've heard that. So then it's like, get rid of the letter of the law, but then the spirit of what? So all we're saying is we're not turning back to the letter of the law, we're just activating the spirit of the law. But we've heard that before, but the spirit of what? Your subjective law? That the Holy Spirit would allow your subjective prophecy to choose what, where, when, how, and why? Or are we allowing the spirit to awaken us to be obedient to that law but by the spirit because a bar mitzvah is to transform from reading it and knowing it on the outside to saying i know it on the inside So what Paul's saying is we're not going to operate by the letter of the law. You're not just going to have a dad that's going to say, do this, don't do this. But out of right relationship, you're going to know how to honor my instructions and be empowered to have my instructions through the spirit because you will be nurtured through doing it. That right there just brings all this into context. What have we been saying this whole time? If we're like, we're not, it's not by the letter of the law, but it's by the spirit of the law. What did that mean? Anyways, and then he would just be like, so read that and then go on to the next thing. And I'm like, we've heard the spirit of the law so many times, but what did that mean in my personal life? That I'm free to just flow by somebody's subjective opinion, which actually meant I was a slave to man and taken out of his instructions, which is Satan himself. The one saying, you don't need to be under that letter. Come to me, but that's not even what Paul's saying. He's just saying you're shifting from letter to spirit, but same law.
2: When you say, when you fall into the line of thinking that you're not under the law, what the enemy realizes and knows is that your avenue of right restor or, or restoration of right relationship with the Father is cut off. Yep. Which no, you're free from the law. Great, now I don't gotta worry about them being restored to right relationship with the father.
1: So this is a whole teaching in itself, but it just fits perfectly. So if you guys are okay, I'm just gonna go there. After that happened with the tree of good and evil, we would, we would think that Yahweh was a bad father because he took them out of the garden, right? They were punished. But what he was doing was safeguarding them because if you were to eat from the tree of life in your sinful state, you'd be stuck in that position for all of eternity. So he was saying, now that you've made that decision, he moved them away from being able to be stuck in that place. And ever since that moment, he's been trying to get his people a gateway back to the tree of life which then ended up being his son, Yeshua, who is the gateway to allow you to go back. But you can't eat from the tree of life and play around with both. He's the gateway. So it's the ultimate deception to say he's the gateway to allow you to keep being disobedient. Why don't you go ahead and eat from the tree of life while you are disobeying my instructions? What did you say before I got into that? Why did I get into that?
2: Oh, because the enemy wants to cut off you. Yeah,
1: because pages. the enemy wants to cut you off. But then we say, almost like, um, not glorifying, but it's, then we then we shift our blame on what Yahweh did. We're not even focused on what the enemy did. We just, well, why would... So then our whole doctrine turns into what is the father going to do or not do when in reality, like what he's saying about the law, it's not about what he's going to do or what he's not going to do. It's about what you did and what he does to safeguard you from continuing to make those same choices.
2: Think about this. Let's think like the the enemy, he might be totally fine with you having salvation, you but if you're not under the law, if you fall for that lie, then you won't fulfill your purpose. What if your purpose is that thousands would be saved because of you? Well, I'll trade that. I'll trade thousands for one. Right? We're we're saved, man. And then we think we're escapists and we think to the rapture, we avoid all this and we're just hunkering down. Things are crazy until he's coming back one day and we're all gonna just escape right? You skip all this.
1: There's some things that are being dropped tonight, I believe on our family and to bring this out again, because I want to kind of just dot connect some things that just have happened tonight. Derek starts out talking about a seed and how deep does it go? At one point, the seed could only go so far with our family. Go back to the initial some of the initial teachings of from the cross or staying at the cross or how Christianity will want us to stay at the cross. I'm looking at this whole thing and we understand right relationship. Sorry, that's supposed to be a cross. We understand right relationship. The struggle has been, what do you do with that right relationship? Which takes me then to sons of purpose that there's purpose whereas there's hopelessness in this facade of I'm good but that's it I guess I'm fine and then there's no purpose so it would be like I want to try to bring up that analogy Dwayne you asked the question about the law so you you break the law which we we all We all have broken the law. Judgment comes, and then he said that we are not saying that we are saved by the Torah, but we also have to remember that Yeshua is the word made flesh. So he's the physical manifestation to show his people how you get off the conviction, how you get out of the conviction. So who is your lawyer? Yeshua, all we're doing is adding this lofty, well, Yeshua is my my lawyer, but giving it a physical manifestation, which is what he wanted when he said, and then you're gonna go and do what I did. The physical manifestation was that he was the word that became flesh, which was the ability to get out of the conviction. So he comes and then allows the judge to see him to where now you are not held accountable to the punishment of breaking the law. But what would it mean if the judge, who's the father, says, you're now free, so then you say, oh, I'm so thankful that the lawyer got me off, they can take care of it now, they did their job so that I can keep doing what I was doing which is ultimately what we've done if we don't understand obedience and, and purpose. We're stuck here, which will constantly create a cycle of doing it again, needing the lawyer, crisis, coming back, needing the lawyer, coming back, needing the lawyer, and I'm not saying that we don't always need him, but it's to empower us to create movement, to move forward in our purpose, to move forward in our obedience, to move forward. If I'm just speaking practically, would he want his death to, be, to, um, to only get you out of a speeding ticket? Okay, so that's great. He got you out of the speeding ticket. So then you go and you speed again. So then he gets you out of it again. And then you go and you speed again, so he gets you out of it again. And then you go and you speed again, and then he gets you out of it again. And your entire life is this revolving door of getting out of speeding tickets. And that is hopelessness. That, to me, is not a life filled with purpose that has anything to do with the Messiah, Hamashiach, who's the king of kings, Elohim, the heaven-made flesh, to to get us out of one sin nature, to just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like there's, he's getting us out of a cycle of basically conveniently using him for us to continue to transgress or to continue to, or staying at salvation or to continue in our place of duty or to continue in condemnation or death or to continually have that curse. And I I don't know, I just, I felt like I could hear it all night as he was talking about who Yeshua is and why he came. And this is why we want to get after this because we want to understand the fullness of what it was that he came for and not just this. um, when, When he would talk about how you could say things in rebuttal, like, well, I'm not under that because I've been saved by grace. It sounds amazing that you've been freed from your ticket, but what you're basically saying is, I'm not under those instructions so he can keep getting me out of a ticket. So it ultimately is producing hopelessness and just complacency and mundane and what's the point and what's the purpose, which is why we've lost our power as his people because we don't even recognize what it was that was happening and why Paul was an apostle to be sent out to be able to teach these things. I mean, that in and itself is something that's just blowing me away. I mean, we went through a whole season in this house about apostolic. We know what a sent one means. We know that by a military standard, an apostle is somebody who is sent to a group of people who don't look like where they were supposed to, like where they came from, they forgot where they came from, or they're getting conquered and need to know where they're going to be coming from. And an apostle governmentally goes in and basically takes dominion and creates a culture to where that group of people looks like what they're representing. We know this. We've been through a whole season of the apostolic. Now, to find out that Apostle Paul is an apostle is kind of like, how did we not see that? We've called him Apostle Paul. What was he apostling? What was was he sent to the Jewish culture to make them look like the Jewish culture? He was called to the Gentiles in order to teach them how to live in the house that he came from. I mean, by his very name shows us something about Paul that we have misunderstood.
2: Just, we'll, I'll, we'll finish with this. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But
1: I still want to know He's... your analogy you didn't want to go there for. <laughs>
2: Yahweh, I don't know. He's the king of kings, right? He's the king of kings. I want to read you Psalm 119, starting in verse 169. Who wrote the Psalms? Who wrote most of them? David, king David, right? He's the king of kings. This is what King David said. Let my cry come to you, Adonai. Grant me understanding by your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. My lips utter your praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings of your word, for all your mitzvot, all your law are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. He's talking about the Torah. I long for your deliverance, Adonai, and your Torah is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and may your rulings help me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I did not forget your law. He's the king. He's calling us to be kings for the Torah to be our delight. He's not the king of victims, he's not the king of infants, he's not the king of crisis to crisis people. He's the king of kings, which means your Torah, the Torah has to be your delight. Like, you have to praise him. That's devotion. Not like, well, I'll I'll follow it because I have to. That's not a king. Right? King of kings. Well, what does a king, what does King David think about the Torah? Man, he said, it's my delight.
1: And when you understand that the delight is what causes the right relationship, I know we've said it a different way, but if he was the word that made flesh, it is what causes our exposure to the separation, which we should want. Go back to Derek's word about tension. And then it also allows us the grace to be able to function in being able to move forward. It's a relationship fulfilled, king of kings, wanting kings is for a purpose, he wants us to reflect him he created us in his image for what reason because he desired relationship so he wouldn't want to have a relationship with an infant it's great for a season but it's way more wonderful (laughs) i mean the world will tell you opposite oh you just wait till they're teenagers and i'm like that is a curse and that is not that is not the way it is going to be i i love maturity I mean, I would think we would all agree with that, (laughs) but it's, so it's like when he was saying about how, could you imagine a relationship where, so I was talking about the law in this example of a ticket, but in the father saying, repent, you ask for forgiveness and then it produces no purpose. Okay. Will you forgive me? Does it mean anything if I say, Will you forgive me? And then I turn around and do the exact same thing that I had to ask for forgiveness for, and then slap ignorance on it and say, Yeah, but you're a good guy. You got me out of that one. Thank you for how good you are so that I can continue to keep doing the very thing that I have to keep asking for forgiveness for. When he was talking about a son saying, Hey, I'm going to come back in the house, you know, and then right relationships restored, for what purpose? I know he said it, but to hone it in so that he could live in the house, not so you could live in your own room doing whatever you want, acting like I've got a father when it's convenient, when I need him, when I need a job or whenever I wanna say all things are possible. Hey, hey dad, all things are possible. Can I get that rate or can I get some more whatever and then go back in your room and operate under your own subjective laws that you've created for yourself off of whatever whim you think is good, right, wrong or indifferent. It's empowering to come under. It's empowering to be like, I don't know, not out of a place of, I don't know, but I I want instruction. I don't want to be subjected to my own thoughts of what's right, wrong, and indifferent, and then find myself in a courthouse, and I was just ignorant, didn't know that Colorado didn't have laws, or did have laws, and I was told they didn't. I don't want to be in that situation either. So being in a house, there's structure, and there is standard. And that is a powerful thing. One other thing I wanted to point out when he said we're going to get to daytime discipleship. And he can't wait about raising children. And all of us are amening. Because we have all of this going on in our house. And it's easy. I want to just release this in the spirit. It's easy when you're the parent to understand this. But when you're the son and daughter, it's not that easy. It's when, you, when we get into ra- raising kids, all of you parents are going to be like, yeah, how do I get after that transgression? How do I get my children to go from duty to devotion? Well, there's a standard, and we're going to be able to teach that. But it's an, it's an amen from the parents, just like Yahweh and all of heaven is like, amen why is this so hard and it's because the sons and daughters are thinking well all it is is do the dishes don't do the do this you have to do the. it's just you you're looking at heaven like just the billboard of like and you're the you're the parent being like promise it is not I mean I'm sure if I talk to any of you guys you guys have all said like man mom And I'm over here like, do you know what has been hovering? And I'm looking at the purpose and I'm looking at your future and I'm looking at fulfillment and I'm loving and I'm right. But then, but they, from the kid's perspective, it's just like, that hurt. Or uh, I didn't want to be exposed and shaped and molded and I didn't want you to see that right it's just a different thing when the roles are reversed so just remember as much as you are a son and daughter heaven is is operating the way that you are when you are a king and queen or a mother and father when you're raising up others just keep that in the back of our mind, because if we're like kicking and screaming through the night season and then you're an adult with kids during the day season you're going to be like really wish I wouldn't have kicked and screamed because now my kids are kicking and screaming. <laughs> Do we know how many more nights we have for the night season? Like, have we counted that out? I think it's is it five or four. Yeah. Not outside of activation nights, like just thinking of teaching. That's why we were like, we're probably just going to end on Pauline theology. And then we have like, because we have some activation nights and some other nights that I think that were gone. So just to kind of put it in perspective of how we're going to be finishing up with Pauline theology, just to make sure that this is really um, prepping ourselves to be able to receive for the next night season, really ultimately to receive more of our heritage. Because we didn't feel like we would be able to receive more of our heritage if we didn't understand really going in deep of what we know of the renewed covenant. So Pauline theology will be the next couple of months, right? So, for example, just to kind of throw something out there, when Paul says, I think it's in Galatians, when he says, don't let anybody judge you based off the new moon and those feasts. Have you guys read that scripture? Well, we're going to get into that. Because then once you get into that, you read it and you're like, how did I ever think he was telling the Gentile or the Christians don't you let those Jews judge you for those feasts. You've, you don't need to be doing that. That's how we read it. Well, we're gonna get into stuff like that. So if there are those heart-wrenching scriptures of just, we just don't understand, maybe even write them down and bring them forward because we've got the rest of the night season to really dive into um, all of the renewed covenant and what is said.
3: How does everybody feel? after tonight? Rejoicing. Anyone else? I want to know. Blessed. Amazing. What did you say, Missy? Mind blown. (laughs) I want to hear from the family because I feel like there is a tangible difference in the heart's response tonight in the house. Do You guys feel that? And I believe that mom put her finger on it when she said, now there's hope. And it was like, all of a sudden, everything just kind of lifted because it's clicking right there's been so much uncovered and you can wrestle through the understanding of what that means and where we're going and it's it's work but it's unto hope because to be out of this place to be launched from this place truly and no longer wander around aimlessly without direction in something that's just completely subjective there is hope when you understand purpose. It's what Yahweh released over us before on an activation night about how you will be able to endure and fully receive through the wrestling when you understand that it is for a purpose, when you fully grab a hold of the purpose. And I feel like that's what was released tonight in more of the uncovering is that it ultimately is going to produce hope. Because now we understand fully our purpose. You can wander your whole life, your whole existence, even in salvation with a lack of purpose. I mean, it's why we're all literally here because we were wandering around with this prompting, like, this isn't it. I still feel so aimless. I still feel so purposeless. I'm, grab- I'm trying to grab a hold of all of these things and implement all of these things on earth and preach salvation and all, all of it. And, and I still feel this lack, a lack of direct, whatever it might be that got us here but what's being released now is that we are understanding we're being raised up to fulfill our purpose. And it isn't this lofty, well, I wonder what it is. <laughs> right? He's like, it's, it's just right here. <laughs> that's, that's it. What a good father. Again, to not make it this thing that's out of our reach, that's out of our understanding, it's just right here. So, as we give tonight, I want us to give from that heart's position, from that tangible sense in the room as a family of hope being instilled and hopelessness, being cast away.